Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so happy to be with you all today and to be with my very special friend. Diana Curtis and I are both podcast hosts and we both deal with grief. And that's it's kind of nice to have somebody that, to be so much in, in common with. Uh, Diana's the host of the Growing Through Grief podcast. So that's kind of similar to the, what I do. But amazingly... <laughs> All of our uh, podcasts are different, which is is pretty cool, showing that there's a whole lot out there that people can use in many different ways. She also has uh, coaching to the heart, and she's a very special person. So welcome. I'm I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate you inviting me. Well, tell me a little bit about what your approach to grief and, and what you do. Mm, I love that question. Wow, my approach to grief. Well, what I do, you already just described it a little bit. I love my, 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 I would say my baby is being a host of the Growing Through Grief podcast. So just that title alone tells you that everything for me as it relates to grief is about growth. And I love that yours is about happiness, right? So we're always expanding into something different. And I believe that if we allow grief to do what only grief can do, that we will expand our life and move into a purpose and a destiny that we never dreamed for ourselves. So grief and growth. So what do I do? I do grief counseling. Um, I have membership. I have a membership group for individuals who are grieving. The number one thing that I realize, not only personally, but for the people that I serve is they feel very lonely. When Mm. they're significant loss, they feel lonely, isolated, misunderstood. And I love listening to one of your episodes where you talked about when you lost your husband that there was some moment of loneliness, aloneness, isolation, whatever title we want to give it. So I do have a community. I call it the Compassionate Hearts Circle. And I love, love, love working with women, serving women and being in that group. And I get to grow as well in that group. So I do lots. We can talk. We'll probably unfold some of that as we have this conversation. I'm sure we will. We've got so much that we can talk about. And what you were talking about with loneliness and someone to talk to, I think is one of the probably the main top of the list challenge for people that we both deal with. Because for some reason, and I never quite understood this, people that that know you up until the time your loved one died kind of don't know what to do with you after that, and they kind of disappear. Uh, I've uh, 
I've had people coming back into my life, which I'm I'm really appreciative of. But there was a while that I don't know whether it was because I reminded them of their loss too, or whether it was that they they didn't know what to say and so they chose not to say anything at all. I'm sure there was no malice intended at all. It's just that they didn't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I think at, at that point, I didn't know how to ask them in a way that they'd be comfortable with me asking. So I, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree because I just experienced that. My brother passed a year ago in April and I'm realizing more and more that people actually don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They fear they might say the wrong thing, so they sort of disconnect and they disappear at a time when we need them the most. And it was interesting because I'm very, very close to my daughter's there were that period when I was not hearing from them after losing my brother. Mm. Thinking, what exactly is going on? Because we talk all the time. And this is what they said to me when I finally picked up picked up the phone. You know, I had to get some heat off of that. Like, my kids are not calling me. Yeah. So I had to clear my stuff. And when we finally had the conversation, this is what one of my daughters said. She said, well, I thought you wanted to be alone. I thought you wanted to be by yourself. And yes, there's an aspect of us wanting to be by ourselves and grieve, but that just one part of it, right? So I thoroughly agree with it. People don't know what to say, how to be in relationship with us when we've lost a loved one. And it reminded me also, I believe I'm in this I'm on this journey because I lost my mom at age three. Mm. And there was, at least as I recall, no conversation about it. There was no sitting down and being with me and holding my pain emotionally and just giving me permission to grieve and cry over my mother because I'm not blaming or shaming anyone, but they just didn't know how. But that's still the case Even now, people don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. So I totally agree with what you just said. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I I try to look back for me when I've known someone who someone close to them died and how I dealt with it uh, before I started doing all this, this grief work that I've done. And I'm not sure I was different than anybody else. You know, I I would always send something, not necessarily flowers, but send something that would be helpful in some way to them. And I was more likely to do that than pick up the phone and call them. But I'm not a real good phone person anyway. I like to talk to person people where I can see them. Like I, I love talking to you on Zoom because we can see each other when we talk. Right. And it's just, I I really think that most, at least people in in our culture in this country, are not that comfortable with death that they can do something about it and and make it feel good or feel better. Yeah. yeah. You remember back, or maybe you might, may or may not remember, 
and I know I'm very guilty, I would say, let me know if you need something. Really? They have no clue. We have no clue what we need when we've lost our loved one. Absolutely. So it was, and it was not until I got trained through the Grief Recovery Institute that I no longer used that phrase, sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss? Mm-hmm. What if it was a situation where their loved one had been suffering for years and they were just at peace to not watch their loved one suffer any longer? And sorry for your loss may be perceived as dismissive. It seems like a disconnect. So we're learning. When we learn, we do better, right? That's right. And I I think that's one of the the big values of podcasts like ours is that we can point things out to people in a way that they don't take as an attack. Because I have said to people in person before that, I would appreciate if they didn't say, I'm sorry for your loss to me. And they said, well, I thought I was saying something really nice. I thought that's what people say. And that's the only words that, you know, because that's that's kind of what our society does. And they they never really looked at it from any other perspective. And if if we can kind of let them know the effect of a comment like that, then then hopefully they'll think about it. What do you tell people if they ask you, uh, well, so what do you tell someone or say to someone who's lost somebody close to them? It really depends on my relationship with the person. Uh, But it's normally, I might ask a question, you know, share with me what you loved about that person or your most favorite moment, your most favorite memory of the person. And just remind them, that, and I have to be extremely careful with this, just remind them that the physical body is gone and you miss it so dearly, right? I know you love them, but there's still opportunities to connect, I'll say energetically with the person. Yeah? yeah. That's, that's so important. I know, I, I always suggest that that people mention the name of the person who's gone and and say something like a, a favorite memory you had of that person or or something uh, beautiful about the person and that you I find that people smile when you do that and it's so cool when somebody who's crying and and being sad with everybody else when they can give you a smile just it, it feels so good I, I think that's that's kind of a, a cool way to handle that. And uh, you mentioned something, too, about uh, let me know if there's something I can do. That's another one that gets me. <laughs> I had when when my husband Jacques was ill, he was my first husband that died. And he had both of us were really active in, in the community. We knew everybody in town, it seemed like. And he was a real positive, happy guy and when he first started having health challenges, people came out in droves to come visit him either at the hospital or at home and send him cards and stop by just to talk and visit. And the longer he was sick, the fewer people came around. It's like they had offered their comfort and then they went on with the rest of their lives. 
And several of them said, you know, just let me know if you need anything. And this was back in the days before being able to get groceries delivered and, and even food. There was very little food that was delivered in the community where we lived. And we got to the point where our cupboards were bare. And it's not that we couldn't afford it. It's that I couldn't take him with me to go shopping. And I also didn't want to leave him alone to go shopping. And so I thought, okay, now who said, uh, just let me know if I can do anything. And I started calling him. And I got answering machines. And I explained to them the situation and said, you know, either if you could come and sit with Jacques or if you could pick up a few things for me or however it works out to be most convenient for you, if you could help, I would really appreciate it. And nobody called back. I was so shocked that nobody called back. And I called a bunch of people because I kept thinking, well, if this person can't do it, maybe they're busy and maybe this person can do it. And we finally got to the point where I didn't know what I was going to do. And we had a, a door like out from the kitchen that went out into the driveway that wasn't at the front of the house. And somebody came knocking on that door. And I thought, who could that be? Nobody ever <laughs> goes to that door. And I went over there and there, there was a woman there that I didn't recognize. And she told me that she was a friend of my next door neighbor. Now, my next door neighbor was somebody for a lot of reasons that we'd smile and say hi to each other. And that was it. And, and that was okay under a lot of circumstances. But she said that her neighbor had told her that my husband was very ill. And she said that she just happened to be on the way to the grocery store. And could she pick up something for me? And I was so shocked. And I said, here's the list and here's the money. And I was so grateful. And she, she brought me stuff at that point. And I never saw her again. I can't even tell you what her name was. But wow. I was so grateful for her because she was just a, a miracle in my life at that point. And it, it got to the point where somebody else showed up and they started helping me. So I wasn't in that position forever. But I was beginning to think I was going to be in that position forever. And it was a really scary place to be. Yeah. So, so that's it. It's just a statement that people mm -hmm. make, let me know if you need something, but they really don't mean it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they don't. And I try to anticipate, like I, I had a, a friend who had a terrible situation with being sent home from the hospital right after surgery when she was not prepared for it at all. And she needed a bunch of stuff. But I, I didn't know that. I just called to, to check on her. And her sister was there with her. And she was telling me all this terrible story. And I said, OK, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go pick up this for you. And I'm going to pick up this for you. And I'll have them to you in a couple of hours. And then we'll talk about what else I can do for you. Because I, I wanted to actually do something, not just say that I would do something it mostly based on that experience that I had before that it was it was so important to stay in touch with people that's another thing when we're grieving people tend not to reach out themselves and don't stay in touch with people and the further away you get from people the harder it is to get back together with them exactly it's the number one reason I created this community for women to sort of be in a space where number one they feel safe 
And I think we need others to witness our pain, to just witness and understand nothing I can do about your pain except to support you and help you release it. But just having that other person, that group of women who who just get it, who just get it. You asked me about, I just remember you asked me about my approach Mm -hmm. to grief. Again, I spent decades not knowing the way I was showing up in the world, which was sweet, nice, kind, but a little limited and restricted in terms of really expanding my life and doing all those things that my heart say, "Woo, you should do this, you should do that. So there was a little bit of fear going on in there. And it was not until I retired from the CDC that I realized I felt so young. There was so much more inside of me, but there was still those inhibitions and just couldn't reach it. And I started my work. I started doing my work and realized that I really needed to grieve the losses in my life. And as I did that, my heart just started to bloom and open up and blossom like a flower. So my approach to grief is to do the same for other women. I promised myself once I was on the other side, there is no healing of grief, but once I was on the other side and see what it feels like, and I'm jumping right into the happy place, grief and happiness now, if you didn't figure that Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. (laughs) So once I got on the other side of that and felt that happiness and that expansion and the freedom, I promised myself I would help any woman, primarily women, who are ready to do her work. And that consists of a lot of different things. But the primary thing that I do is create the space for the individual to feel whatever they need to feel and feel safe as they're feeling it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, just give it space, create that space as opposed to swallowing and pushing it down because this is going to come right back up. So give it the space and release it and then just have fun with the next time it comes up, right? That's the happy place. Yeah, it's so wonderful to be able to have that place to release it. Because, you know, when you just sit at home and, and think about it all the time and kind of let it overwhelm you, it's hard to do anything. It's hard to step forward. It's hard to get up out of the chair. Mm-hmm. So having having a, a place like you've created is wonderful to be able to have somebody else who, who gets it. They might not have had the same situation that, that you had, but they had loss. Exactly. And, and we can relate to that yeah. loss together. Yeah. My primary principle is, well, I have two, but one is curiosity. You know, just get curious about what's happening. What did I just tell myself? What am I thinking? Who am I blaming? You know, get curious about it and just be with it because there's no judgment when you're curious, right? You're just curious. And as you walk that out, you get to the other side. You get to really feel it release it, you're on the other side of it. And that is where the compassion comes in. 
you know, that self-compassion. Yes. It's okay that I feel this way today. Because in a quick second, I could feel totally different, right? That's one right. Minute, one moment I'm sad, the next minute I'm jumping with joy. So compassion and curiosity. I love that. The, the two great words for, for what you do and, and what, what we need when the situation is like that. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of in that place right now. Today is the the uh, five years ago today is when my husband Ron died. And I was I thought I was doing just really great and I'm 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 happy, you know, <laughs> and I'm doing all these different things. But starting about a week ago, I started falling apart a little bit. And I thought, okay, I just am gonna allow myself to do that because I think I need to. And when I woke up this morning, I wrote him a big, long letter. And it felt so good to write that letter. Mm-hmm. And then one of my things that I do is I wrote a letter back to me from him. And it was so powerful. And now I feel great. You know, <laughs> up, up until this morning, I was going through these ups and downs of uh, kind of overwhelm and yeah, it, it, he really is not here in person by my side, but I sure feel his presence all the time. Oh, I love that. So you got curious about it and mm-hmm. you to just invite more of it in and um, explore up to the point of, oh, I feel better now. Mm-hmm. I, I used to do that a lot, Emily, when I was in the midst of the grief. It was... Slightly different. It was between my mom and my three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Imagining what the three-year-old felt when mom didn't come back. So journaling to mom using my left hand. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine what that looks like. I'm right-handed. Oh, yeah. Imagine what that looks like, right? So the three-year-old is journaling to mom, expressing the pain, the hurt of losing her. And then I moved to my right hand and the right hand writes out from mom, speaking to my younger self, my three-year-old, what she must have felt. I love that. Yeah, so journaling is powerful. Oh, yeah. Writing and grief is is my my main focus and and how I can help people. But I haven't heard that doing it with your left hand before. I think that's uh, yeah. that's awesome. Because I'm going to try that. Hand, with my left hand, it's difficult for me to write from a grown-up perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm writing from a, a young person, my three-year-old, not my age, My as my daughter say, my big age that I am today, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I would reverse the role, use my right hand, and allow my mom to speak to the three-year-old. That is so so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just took a little note because I I have a a meeting with with my people every week, and we do something different every week with writing, and then we do a happiness practice. And that's, we're going to do that (laughs) because I think that's that's really good. 
I know my my dad's mom died when he was really young, and and I don't know how old he was because he didn't even know how old he was. Interesting circumstance. He had a couple of older sisters, and then him, and then his mom died, and the the family was illiterate and itinerant and lived in on a um, Indian reservation or Nate, I guess we don't call it that anymore. That's, that's what they called it is why it came out like that. But because they, they were part native American and they like, didn't write down one, one of the, his older sister, much older sister wrote down in a family Bible at one point that they got, later not not when he was young the the dates that they thought their birthdays were (laughs) but they just didn't keep track of it and I couldn't find out anything from anybody about his mom uh, about how old she was I know that she um, gave premature birth to twins and then had what they called milk leg, which I finally found out that milk leg is phlebitis, where you get a blood clot in, in your leg, and it um, apparently went to her lungs and killed her like right away. Mm-hmm. And that was just it. And they just made do until they, they finally came out with the dustful migration to California. And I was always curious about that, that I would would have thought that my aunts, his older sisters, could have told me something. And I don't know whether they could have and chose not to, because in, in those days, lots of people just didn't talk about things like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad that we talk nowadays. <laughs> I am, too. And COVID made it impossible for people not to talk about death and grief and mental health. I recall you saying that people are afraid of death. Mm-hmm. Well, my comment behind that, if we're so afraid of death, start living so that Absolutely. you have so much fun, <laughs> right? Yeah. Start yeah, start living. It's so beautiful. We've We've had so much death, especially in the last few years. And I've been getting uh, one thing that's been interesting to me that I've I've had with uh, my podcast. I've had uh, there are three different men that came on under the guise of wanting to know something specific about grief, uh, uh, how grief affected their business and what they could do with uh, grieving employees, that sort of a thing. And I thought, well, that'd be interesting to talk about. And so I went on, and it turned out that each one of them had an experience that they hadn't dealt with, that they they couldn't reach out any other way, but they could kind of ask me questions mm-hmm. that would help them start to figure things out. Yeah. One of them had, uh, he was retired from the military, but he'd been in Afghanistan and he said he saw too many of his friends die. And one of them had his uh, friend commit suicide years ago many years ago and he never dealt with it and it was just kind of eating away at him and he needed to talk about it mm-hmm. and like you said you've got you you serve women i i don't say when i invite people that they have to be men or women or whatever i just say I, people right. and they're they're almost all women i i have had a couple of men participate and we love having the men participate <laughs> but they they 
have tend to maybe not seek out the the kind of help and, and comfort that we can give. I, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I think a lot of that is because society, you mm-hmm. know, taught men that they're supposed to be strong and they were never encouraged to emotionalize what they're feeling. And that legacy just goes on and on and on. Um, well, until today, as you said, men are starting to reach out. So one thing I know for sure is when you lose a loved one, all of those unresolved grief and loss events come up also. Mm-hmm. If you haven't resolved some of the past things, especially those things that happen in childhood, all of that is just bubbling up, right? And it can be really, really traumatic. So, but back to your question, I, yeah, I, I'm so happy to see men becoming comfortable with expressing their emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it's it's so important. And I love to talk to them when they, they start to open up. It's like they crack open this big dam and I mostly listen, you know, and they're just so grateful that, that they could say what they were feeling and what they'd seen and what they'd experienced. They just felt like they needed to do it. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that, that they said were so heartbreaking. I thought, how how has he been able to walk around with this mm-hmm. without dealing with it or or talking to somebody about it. But that's that's kind of I think what our society does to people. And that's all that any of us want, right? Is to be mm-hmm. heard, seen and cared for. That's right. That's all we want. So that's great that you are attracting men <laughs> in your on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of different. You know, I didn't really expect it, but I, I like to talk. I've, I've only had a couple podcasts where I thought, oh, what did I get myself into? Because uh, I, I wasn't clear enough with who the person was before I started talking to him. But generally, you can get so deep. And it's so interesting because so many people can hear what we're talking about here. But if they hear, they, they don't really know who these people are. And so they feel safe in expressing themselves. They can say what they need to say. And there's something about saying something out loud mm-hmm. that makes it real. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just bounces around in your head. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I always say that grief is an emotion, just like this is the opposite of love, peace, and joy. It's an emotion, and it wants to express itself. It could be through a conversation. It could be through tears. It could be through anger. It's coming out eventually when it stays in the body because the body is the body is not a storage container, right? Mm-hmm. It's built to release things as we do with the human functions. You know, we drink water, then we urinate. So if we feel something, emotionalize it and let it out. Yeah, that's such a great way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way before. I, I really like that. Is that, that holding on. We push it down, we swallow mm-hmm. it, 
And then it starts to convert to disease, diseases and illnesses um, until we release it. Yeah, you, you reminded me of a time when uh, when I was in high school, I was involved in something that was incredibly traumatic and I never talked to anybody about it. Uh, it severely affected my life. And when I grew up and I was teaching writing at the university, when one day we were the students were writing in class. We had a computer lab so that they could write right there. And it was just quiet. And I thought, I'm going to write too. And I didn't know what I was going to write, but I sat down and I started and I started writing about that experience and kind of working it out. And I said, ended up saying everything that I should have said years before, but mm -hmm. got it out. It wasn't that anybody would ever see it or ever read it, but there was something about the process of actually expressing it yeah. released it. And yeah. I I feel like after that one class, my life changed and and my yeah. perspective completely. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know, when we learn these skills and tools and processes and practices of how to navigate through grief, this emotion called grief, that oftentimes or have its companion of shame and guilt. You know how the guilt shows up, the other G, mm -hmm. um, you're taking care of a loved one and you're guilty. You're asking yourself, did I take them to the right doctors? Did I, did I ask all the right questions? Or somebody committed suicide. Why did I not see the signs? All that guilt stuff. Mm -hmm. So as we learn about the fact that these things will show up, these emotions will show up, but it's not who you are. We don't have to own that as who we are. We can feel it and release it. And it sounds like it's easy. It can be just that simple, but most people want to resist it. And the more you resist it, the more it will show back up, right? That's right. Peace it one breath at a time, explore, let it out, and then something else may come. Yeah. Uh, you, you said something there that uh, made me think about how I was speaking to someone who uh, son died by suicide. And he, I said something about committed suicide and he said, we don't call it that. Oh, we call it died by suicide because when you say someone commits suicide, you're implying that the person set out to do this on purpose. And a lot of times when people die by suicide, it's the only thing they can figure out. And it's not, not probably what they intended even a lot of the times. Yeah. And so I've, I've uh, been uh, being very careful uh, and how I say that now uh, I think most people it wouldn't make any difference to because that's all they've ever heard and they just assume that's what you say. But it really made me think. Yeah. Thank you for that. Died by suicide. And as you were talking, I was thinking, no one. I love that he said that. It implies that the person did it on purpose. Mm -hmm. As you said that, what came up for me is no one wants to die. They want the pain to go away. That's right. They want the pain to go away. They don't want to die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
so at, yeah, I just, at this moment in my life, I, again, I love the grief and happiness because that's where I am now. Uh, so many happy places and I'm not implying that grief doesn't come up because we're always losing something or mm -hmm. some. So it still comes up, but we have tools and skills and uh, to support myself. And then I have this community that support me as well. We need community, right? We don't Absolutely. want to do this alone. So that's the happy place that, yeah, yeah, it feels. But, you know, even deeper than the happy place is that place of joy inside that's eternal. Being happy to me is fleeting. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't get the ice cream cone or the peach cobbler. Oh, I feel Ooh. really good. <laughs> yeah, love that. <laughs> that's fleeting. But that place of joy that I can always return to when I choose to. That's yeah. so beautiful. I know yeah. that one of the things that I say now is that I'm happier now than I ever have been, that I really feel that I'm living in a, a general state of joy. And people question me on that all the time when I say it. <laughs> like, you you can't do that. How can how can you have had two husbands die and you're happy? You know, <laughs> but, mm. but I am. And, and how do you respond? I respond by telling them that I actually talked to both my husbands at, at different points about what would happen if one of us died. And I said, you know, I and, and they, they said to me, we agreed, both my first and second husband who died, that we would want that person to be happy, to not be going around being sad and crying for the rest of their lives, but to find a way to find a joy in their life with uh, a purpose that fulfills them so that they could live their best life. Mm. And when I, I think of Jacques and Ron being behind me, supporting me in what I'm doing right now, I, it's, it's easy. It's easy for me to do. And it, it yeah. surprised me when I first started telling people that I was happy because they'd look at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, you know, I think there is grief is one of those things that grief will let you know when grief is done with you. Mm -hmm. right? That's right. But then we also get to choose. There is a point. There was a point in my life when it just didn't make sense to continue to cry and be sad about something that absolutely can change mm -hmm. and to embrace it differently. I began to embrace the loss of my mom differently and really appreciate that had my mom not died, I would not be the person I am. I would not be doing this work. Now, of course, I didn't want my mother to die, but then moving from that place to a space of gratitude. And right. I try to live from that space of gratitude no matter what I do. And that's where the joy and the happiness come because you can't be grateful and sad at the same time. That's gratitude right. is going to move you to a different space, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, gratitude came before happiness for me by far. You know, I, I was I felt somewhat stuck. And once I, I finally discovered about 
real gratitude for me and started practicing gratitude, then I started feeling lighter and kind of opening them up and opening up to new experiences and and to taking care of myself. And with all that, the happiness came. And then once you get happy, it's easier to have that sustainable joy that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, but it it all starts with, with gratitude and loving yourself, taking care of yourself. Yeah. I love the word lighter. Because as my take, my approach to this grief thing or any type of pain is to look at it from four pillars, four filters based on who we are as individuals, you know, that the mental level, the emotional level, the spiritual level and the physical level. And when that mental and spiritual is working together, oh my goodness, everything else is so beautiful, isn't it? Physically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Physically, I will show up as a different person. Yeah. So that holistic approach to addressing grief and pain, sadness, trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just one thing, you know, (laughs) just like your life is not one thing. Grief is not one thing. And the more directions you look at it, the more you can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been just delightful talking to you today. I just, I love to talk to you. And I'm sure that our listeners are going to be, have a lot to think about after listening to this conversation. And uh, my, my intention is for them to find some joy in the process and some happiness. Yes. Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation as well. It makes me happy to talk about happiness. Yes. You can't help but smile when you're talking about happiness. You can't frown when you're talking about happiness, you know? (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being my guest here today. And I I look forward to talking to you on your podcast, too. I think we'll we'll have another great conversation. And uh, I'll see my guests here again next week. All right. Thank you. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.